Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, thanks, thanks Matt for having me and, and thanks to your listeners for, for following along. My name is Sandeep Singh. I am the president and CEO of Cisco Gold Royalties. We are uh, the fourth largest precious metal royalty company in the sector, trade in Toronto and uh, New York under the ticker symbol OR, the market cap of about US $2 billion right now. We have a very diversified uh, group of assets producing this year a midpoint of guidance of 80,000 geos, that's gold equivalent ounces, at a 97% cash margin. So it's a phenomenal business. It's got an awful lot of growth uh, embedded in the company that we bought in the down market. I'm sure we'll get into that today. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of upsides uh, for the rest of the decade. So look forward to having a conversation with you, Matt. Sandy, good to have you back. We had a great conversation last time out. I'll put a link below to that conversation, pretty fulsome, and we, we got into previous strategies, current strategies, et cetera. So I wanted to get you back on. We spoke to lots of uh, new royalty companies since we, since we spoke to you, people coming into the game and going, this looks easy, easy money, uh, we'll have a go, right? Then that seems to be yeah. it. But I think what we're seeing of late, some of them struggling a little bit because some of the acquisitions are a little bit expensive. The money they borrowed was a bit expensive. It's, it's tougher, you know, tougher than they thought. But for you guys, you still got to compete. You got to go and pick up, you know, decent sized portfolios, decent assets, pay the right price just to stand still. So how have you found the last year? Well, well, yes and no. And, and, and so there's a lot of good things you said there. I'll, I'll, I'll try to unpack it. I think we would have talked last time, frankly, even about the fact that I personally think, and, and with all bias aside, it's a hard time. It was a hard time. It continues to be a hard time to start a royalty company from scratch. Just It just is. Um, and I'm fortunate that that's not what I inherited here at Assisto Gold Royalties. We were able to build a portfolio from one producing asset in 2014 and five total assets to today, 17 producing assets in a basket of 160, mostly accumulated in a down market. So um, I do think it's, it's tough for, for those new entrants. Some are doing a better job than others. Uh, I'm happy to not be in that situation. Um, and frankly, when, when you look at the types of assets they're accumulating, you know, and, and this is just no, no, no knock on them. This is how you need to start is there's often earlier stage assets. And we have a very deep portfolio of early stage assets. Uh, obviously we'd like to add more to it, but that's not our priority. And when we do add new, new early stage assets, it tends to come to our, uh, our relationships on the technical side. People, if you have something early stage in the mining space that you wanna get eyes on, you tend to wanna get our endorsement on it. So that's how we deal with early stage. We don't overpay for it and we don't need to, to add a ton of it. The, the comment about you know, having to do deals to sit still is appropriate for almost everyone else in the sector. It, it doesn't apply to us. Uh, you know, we invested an awful lot in growth on, in that down market, did more deals in the three years leading up to 2020, more deals by value, by deal value, than anyone else in the sector, including companies that are, you know, more than 10 times our size. So we have an ability to, to grow substantially for the rest of this decade on investments we've already made. So that growth is not our, our issue. Uh, frankly, seeing some of that growth hit the tape uh, and turn from development assets into producer assets is what we're looking forward to. So, you know, you're right. There's there's a lot of entrants. The good news is we don't have to compete for them for the with with them for the types of assets they're going after. Uh, and frankly, we don't have to to do deals uh, at all. Uh, we can remain disciplined. Obviously, we will, and we have been. 
we can remain a lot more disciplined than, than pretty much everyone in the sector. But you get my point, the competition's increased. If I look at the Malartic deal done recently by Gold Royalty, they beat you to it, didn't they? <laughs> look, I, I, I think they're doing the right things for their company. Obviously, we knew that royalty existed. Uh, we, we probably know it better than anyone, maybe you know, just as well as the operators do. Um, I think that's a good transaction for them um, uh, at the stage of company they're at. For us, giving up production today for more ounces 10 years from now when we already have a lot of exposure to those assets doesn't make sense. I mean, if you look at the see-through value of that transaction, uh, just based on what Igniko and Yamana have put out, our piece of that underground royalty is seven times the value of, of the piece that was acquired. So do I think the underground royalty at Malartic is worth $2 billion? I hope it is, uh, but I'm not prepared to pay that type of valuation for it today. But do you think, do you think that's the advantage that you guys have. I want to get into a growth story with you. I really do, Sandy, because I want to see where it's coming from, right? Well, maybe get dive into some of the portfolio here. But do you not think that that's one of the advantages potentially that you have is the ability to assess risk and not need to do a deal when others need to just to get heard, just to get noticed? Well, look, we are in a sweet spot, honestly, and I mean that. I mean, to have the amount of production we have, the ability to have you know, double digit Kager growth for a good chunk of the rest of this decade on this size of portfolio, is a massive, uh, you know, uh, advantage for us. And, and why I say sweet spot is we already talked about why we don't have to do those early stage deals. Uh, but even on the bigger side, I mean, the competition is still really the same as it's always been. It's, it's you know, the, the big three, and then it's the intermediates like ourselves, uh, triple flags gone from private to public, but they've been around for five years. Sandstorm and a few other people trying to get into that mix. So the the uh, the people that are capable of doing large transactions for cash don't have to convince people to take their paper. Uh, it's still really the same. And and frankly, the larger competition for us is not each other. Uh, there's a fair bit of discipline in terms of what you know at times what we're prepared to pay for royalties and streams. The biggest competition is the equity and debt markets. And in 2020, they were very buoyant. Uh, everyone could raise equity dollars in 2020. That's and that's normal. That's the part of the cycle we were in when gold prices uh, run as hard as they did. That becomes the norm. What we've seen in 2021 so far is, and that's where we took a step back in 2021. Obviously, gold has slid downwards to sideways. Uh, the equity markets have not been as open for for issuers. So you tend to see more transactions in the royalty and streaming space, or frankly, better transactions. And I think that's the uh, you know, it's fluid. It may turn around next year or, or, or tomorrow. But for now, I think we see a pretty good runway to, to get transactions done. Okay. So look, what you wanted to do today is talk about your company. And I, and I want to hear all about it. But I also need to get something out of this for retail investors trying to do diligence on investing in royalty, the royalty space, the thesis for royalty. Okay. With all of these new entrants, those people are distracting, to say the least, in the sense that they say the same things. They say all the same things. They say the right things, but what they do is something else. Like how, how do retail investors look at this royalty space? You know, are these new entrants a highly leveraged play into the royalty space, which will eventually work out? So they should be investing in these smaller companies instead of you know the mid-sized companies like yourself at whatever two point five billion dollars. You know, it's a good question actually, and and look, obviously everyone will make their own investment decisions. I think. Uh, these companies tend to be more retail driven, so it, it, it attracts probably more of your, your audience. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it's the right question to ask. It's relevant. Um, 
I draw the distinction to, you know, you look at some of the other companies, the newer entrants in years past who had a head start, were able to pick off small transactions that others weren't keeping an eye on in a down market. Um, you know, they had exceptional share price performance. So there was a logic in getting into those stories early, finding a small cap royalty company that was $50 million and, and following it to, to wherever it's gotten to. Again, that was starting companies at the right time of the cycle, uh, where there was a, where there was less competition for those smaller assets, uh, and where you could ride, uh, you know, the the wave, so to speak. I think it's a different market now. Uh, time will tell. Uh, I, I stand by my comment earlier that I wouldn't want to be doing it, but you know, doesn't mean someone can't be successful at it. So I think that's the caution that you have to have as a retail investor: is are you better off paying, in our case, a lower multiple? I think to get production and cash flow today with all that same upside, or do you want to place all your bets on, on expiration stories that maybe are harder for you to uh, discern in terms of quality? Well, not any retail to discern. The brokers don't seem to do too much work on that front either when, when writing up yeah. their notes, right? So that's, so that's a big, yeah. big problem. And that's the, that's, that's the big, biggest question that comes into us, the most frequent question that comes into us is, how do we assess portfolios within these royalty companies? And I, I guess it's no short answer. And it's not easy. No, trust me, even for a company like ourselves, I mean, we have 15, 16 brokers that cover us. Uh, there's a lot of information out there, but there's just not enough hours in the day for people to assimilate all that. I mean, when you have, you know, when I tell the story, I have to talk about 17 producing assets. I have to talk about another 15 or 20 that are on the come. Uh, you know, there's a lot of assets there that we, we barely get a chance to, to get into in any kind of sensible way. So uh, it's easier to follow a, a smaller company that maybe has a handful of, of of, of royalties that they can talk about at nauseum. But again, I would say to you, the benefit of the royalty model is cash flow, grow, paid for growth upside. You know, that free upside that you get from having a deep portfolio, you never know which pieces of it are going to excel at what times, which, which ones are going to get traction, which operators can move things forward, who puts the hole into the right part of the ground. Uh, but knowing that you do have that depth of portfolio, something is something positive is going to happen. And that's where you see the large caps trade at the type of multiples they do is there's always something in their portfolio that you know they paid for a long time ago. It's already paid off and it's getting longer life. It's getting better. There's a new discovery. And just just to finish the point, uh, seems like you want you, seems like you want to ask me a follow up question. But just to finish the point, um, you know we're getting that free upside for the first time in our history, really, in a meaningful way. I mean, when you think about us and you 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 talk about that projection for other people, you know we were. For much of our life to this point, we were building a portfolio from scratch and we'll keep building a portfolio forever, but we were building it from scratch and we were always paying for some negotiated version of what those deals were when we got into them. And it's only with the passage of time and in mining that's, that's measured in years and, and with dollars spent by our operators, do we benefit from the free upside? And we're now seeing it across the board for us on our biggest assets, things like Malartic to our smallest assets. So that's, you know, a lot of torque that you get with a company like us that you don't necessarily get uh, anymore in the big guys or the small guys. Okay, so when, I, when we get kind of you know billion dollar plus companies coming on, miners coming on here, and they start telling me about how many ounces they're producing from which assets, right? I, I say in a very meaningful way, I don't care. That's kind of admin. At this point, it's admin. I'm assuming you're really good at mining now because you've been doing it and you're throwing up, yeah. you know, two, three, four hundred million ounces. Same for you guys. I kind of don't care where the money's coming from. I'm assuming you're really good at it now. You're a $2.5 billion company, but there must be a framework that you're working to, right? Which says, we need to obviously, um, you know, 
buy buy well, buy cheap. We need we need to be good at predicting when when and where the answers will come from, and we need to replace answers as they fall fall away, right? And you need a certain amount of you know um, you know. I guess exploration, which you talked about in the beginning, but you also need, you know, you need to have um, companies that are going to be able to produce in, in the near term too. And like we talked last time out about some of the metrics around that, but can you describe that framework for us in terms of the portfolio you have today and what you think it's going to need to look like in the next two or three years to allow you to tell a growth story? Well, that, that growth story is being told. You're right in, in terms of that's how we think about portfolio construction. You know, you need those producing assets with long life. You need those, those growth stories that are genuinely being pushed forward. You need some of the early stage exploration stuff that will be assets uh, for the back end of the decade and beyond. And we have it. And, and, and you know, our, our portfolio is full in all three phases. As I said, you know, 80,000 geos today is phenomenal. You know, that level of diversification, 17 producing assets for a company our size is phenomenal. When you talk to a miner that's two and a half billion Canadian, you're probably talking about one or two mines of significance. And, you know, there's good and bad to that level of, of concentration. But I, I think for royalty investors, having that level of diversification is a plus. To it, you know, um, we're adding new assets. That development phase of ours is coming. It's here. I mean, we had for instance, the Eagle Mine of Victoria Gold uh, come into production last year. It's been ramping up very nicely for us this year. There's expansion at some of our mines next year, uh, starting with Mantos. It's an extra 6,000 geos on a full year basis. We've got big, chunky, five to 10,000 ounce a year producers coming on in 23, 24, 25, 26. So when you think about our near term, it's, it's literally right around the corner from a mining perspective and mining speak. The midterm is funded by credible large companies, well-financed, well-backed, pushing assets forward. The back end of our decade, uh, that optionality is, is also made up of real assets that are being advanced by real companies. There's some significant catalysts that I'm happy to talk to you about in that portfolio. So, you know, well-balanced throughout. To that, our objective is always to continue to add smartly to it and, 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 and add in all phases. A good asset is always welcome at the right price. Uh, obviously, with a preference towards terse production assets or near-term assets, because that's where we get the best joy as a royalty company. The one thing that does need to happen and is happening in our company, Matt, is that transition of development ounces to producing. Because you know, if you look at us versus our big peers, you know, we like to say that we trade in line with them from a price to cash flow or EBD basis. So you know, near-term metrics. The difference is 90% of their value comes from producing assets. So they are who they are. 50% uh, of our value comes from development assets. So that natural transition that started and will continue in earnest without us doing a thing about it is going to be really important for us, not just from an ounce perspective and a cash flow perspective, but also from a valuation perspective as we de-risk those ounces. Okay, so, so it needs to say geos, gold equivalent ounces in case people get yes, confused, sorry. right? Okay. Um, Thank you, yes. <laughs> always worth clarifying. Um, let, let, so do you, you think that you are capable of buying better than some of the bigger players here? Are they slightly stuck in the sense that, one, they need to go and buy stuff which is meaningful, and, and secondly, you think that they're looking for answers, they need to buy answers, which is obviously going to be more expensive than any of the development type stuff. What, what, are you, what are you saying there? It wasn't quite clear. Look, they're, they're good companies. They're, they're good buyers of assets as well, clearly. Um, I think what I'm saying is we are in a spot right now where we can still do moderate type transactions by value that move the needle for us. 
not true of them. Uh, you know, they need to do multi, you know, they've been, they've been split, splitting them up, but they do need to do multi half a billion dollar type transactions a year to, to as you said earlier, stay flat, uh, let alone show growth. That's just not the situation we're in. Um, the other part of it is, you know, we, we've talked about this, we are still more technically driven than most, than, than all I would suggest. And there are still people out there in certain parts of the world that want an Cisco technical endorsement. And I'm not just speculating, I'm seeing that we're having those discussions. So uh, the deal size, you know, that, that matters to us, doesn't matter to everybody. We can do small transactions that move the needle. We can compete for multi hundred million dollar transactions if we see value. Uh, and so that's a nice place to be. The other part of it is we're not forced to do transactions. You, know, you can judge for yourself, but I think I was the only person you probably had on at the start of the year and, and into last year saying that it was a seller's market and we weren't interested in taking third quartile copper assets before you strip off a big precious metal stream and adding those to our portfolio. They weren't accretive for us. Uh, you know, we had others that, 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 that needed to show growth and they were active. You can judge for yourself what, what you thought of those transactions, but you know, we're going to, we are who we say we are. You know, we, we, we talked a lot about last time about providing a simpler business for people, uh, staying consistent. I think if you followed us, you, you've seen that we've been, you know, uh, incredibly consistent, uh, over the last almost two year period unlocking value on our existing portfolio, providing a simpler story for people to follow um, and adding growth in, in smart ways. And when the market gives us an opportunity to, to, to take more exposure to our own assets, we'll, we'll take that too. Um, you know, in the span of the last few months, we've not only increased our dividend by 10% in a very volatile market around our Q2 goal, I think dropped hundred bucks that week. We still upped our dividend 10%. And then we followed that up in August and September by buying back a percent of our company in the market. So at a time when we're, uh, the assets are exceeding our expectations, the gold price, even down to $1,700 gold, allows us to make more money this year than we ever have before. The growth is, is tangible and the price you know, can get ridiculously cheap. We're happy to step in there and buy people more exposure to large accounts and the rest of our portfolio. Okay, in share buybacks, I mean, I, I prefer you you know, buying more, buying more royalties, you know, because share, share buybacks is something you do when you can't deploy capital, right? And, and I get that it's, it's good for shareholders, but there's more growth potentially if you're spending it elsewhere, I would have, I would have thought. Yes and no. I mean, look, if we can, my objective is to increase, not become bigger for bigger sake, but to increase our gold for gold equivalent cash flow per share for shareholders. Uh, and resources per share, reserves per share for, for shareholders. And if that means getting more exposure to the Malartic Underground, to Mantos, to Eagle, et cetera, uh, if that's the most accretive use of our capital, so be it. And the truth is we can do both. At the same time as we were increasing our dividend and we were buying back shares, you know, we've done a series of transactions uh, this year, which added nice exposure to things like um, you know, TZ, which is Token Tanzino. I try not to say too much, but TZ in Brazil, which is now being pushed forward by G Mining. We're looking at other things as we speak. We can do both. Um, I don't mind deploying more of our cash flow this year towards the dividend, towards the uh, the buyback, if people are willing to give us cheap stock. Yeah, I think that was good. You bought them from uh, Sailfish, wasn't it? I think. Is that right? The, correct, correct. Right, okay. Okay. Right. Can we, can we can we just focus on um, what you do with cash? So you, you're sitting on a, on, a, on a stack of cash now, share buybacks and increased dividends. No one's going to complain about increase uh, in, in dividends. But 
does there reach a point where you go, oh my goodness, uh, it, the market's so tight, we can't deploy this capital. Either we're prepared to sit on our hands for five years, or we have to find new ways to deploy it. And I don't want to go over old ground where you dive off into private equity, but money's money and companies look for money. So you can wrap it up however you want, just, you know, structure finance, call it whatever you want. Can you deploy the cash that you're accumulating in different ways if the royalty market isn't performing as you need it to? We could, but we don't need to. I mean, I'm, I would tell you there's enough in the royalty and streaming space in the countries that we care about with the types of assets that we care about to continue to grow this business full stop. You know, you know when, what you see and you're seeing it is, you know, with a, with a healthy gold price, not as good as it was, but with a very healthy gold price, we're seeing more projects being greenlit. Uh, you know, we're seeing more, more, more capital needed. Uh, inflation is hitting every facet of life. Mining is no exception. Um, you know, the, the miners we talk to, the development companies we talk to, CapEx is gonna, is gonna increase. Um, you know, last year, the operators were, were helped by the fact that energy prices stayed low. Let me just, just talk about inflation globally and then we'll talk about CapEx. This year, energy prices are on the, on the rise, obviously. Uh, labor, which is another big component of cost, is on the rise. So all in costs, I expect to continue to grow. Margins will continue to compress. We'll see a rotation of dollars from the miners to the royalty companies, I have no doubt. So that's kind of the macro view of inflation. When it comes to CapEx, that's clearly going up as well for all the same reasons. So we already have a very capital intensive sector. Uh, there's new projects coming online. Their CapEx estimates are going to be growing like we saw in the last bull cycle where it got, you know, hopefully it's not to the same extent where, you know, uh, you know, you had to prove to people that you had truck tires and, and that you had, some, you know, you had supply of certain things, but there's clearly inflation happening. Um, I think we're going to see more visibility on it when the operators start talking, you know, 2020 numbers. So in that context, all, all I'm trying to say is the CapEx net was always big. It's getting bigger. And there's not enough equity and debt in the market to uh, satisfy it. I mean, okay, just leading on from the uh, battery metals uh, conversation, ESG is becoming a very big component in all conversations. Funds are looking for it. OEMs are demanding it, uh, certainly from their supply chain. Um, how do you look at it? Because you've got, I guess, you've got two components. It's like what you guys are doing. And then there's what your expectations are from the companies that you're working with, that you've got royalties with. Sure. And, and look, it's a huge facet of what we talk about, obviously, with our institutional investor base. There's a, a high level of focus, as there should be. Um, you hope it's the right for the right reasons and not to tick a box. But again, with everything new, it takes a while to kind of iron out the kinks. There's a lot of different um, you know, criteria out there that people are applying to ESG. When you take it all back, if you look at us as a company, it's pretty hard to say that we are not a poster child for ESG. And it just used to be called different things. It was sustainability, it was corporate social responsibility. But if you look at our assets, the partners that we have, the countries we're in, the level of ESG focus that they apply to their assets, um, you know, it's, 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 it's something we care about, it's something we covet, it's something we'll keep as a core part of our, our company. So from that perspective, we already think we're kind of leading the pack. Uh, the royalty sector has taken an approach that says, to date, at least, that you know we're not operators, so it's not our footprint. Go, go talk to somebody else. Go pound rocks, basically. Um, you know, we think that's pretty short-term thinking. Uh, so yes, we want to keep partnered with the right people in the right places, and 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 frankly, apply whatever influence we have, if it's even needed, for them to do the right things. And certainly, we do that. Um, you know, what we've decided to do uh, as, as Cisco is find something proactive to do. 
Um, because if, if you, you know, investors, institutional investors are being asked to justify their, their carbon footprint, you know, we are at the end of the day investors as well in the mining sector. We feel we should have to do that as well. So one of the neat ways we've chosen to do that is a partnership with a company called Carbon Streaming Corp, which is taking the streaming model, which we know and love, and applying it to funding carbon credit projects or projects that generate carbon credits that can be used in the secondary market to, um, to offset exposure. Because yes, you know, we should have a, uh, incre- you know, an intense focus on reducing and, 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 and avoiding carbon emissions, but you can't avoid all. And so our view was, um, you know, we put a small investment into this, at the time private company is now public, uh, and in doing so, we bought a right to participate in 20% of their transactions. So dipped our toe into a brand new business line. We get to watch it. We get to participate. We're really happy with what the team is doing there. Uh, most likely we'll participate in some of their early transactions. And if we do, and if we deploy fives and tens of millions of dollars, and frankly, put that into our other basket as well of, you know, where battery metals fit, so to speak, um, you know, we think we can be, uh, continue to be the leader in our space generate credits at an attractive return. It's kind of 15% IRR business, which is better than what we're getting in the gold space. And that's with flat carbon prices. I think the easiest thing to believe in is that it's going to become more and more expensive, potentially exponentially expensive to emit carbon. So all that to say, smart transactions, taking it slow helps us on the ESG front. We're actually the only group doing something proactive. And if we do it right, in you know one or two years time, we might be able to say that we're uh, net zero. You know, not just based on our office space, which is the way our peers do it, but you know, taking into account five percent of the carbon from Malarctic and and so on and so on and so on. So it's just something we're doing that that is proactive as opposed to just kind of passing the buck onto the mining space. And I think you know to stay current and irrelevant in in this world with as much ESG focus okay. on it. In the, it's in, serving as well. In the context of the conversation we had earlier about new entrants into the marketplace, I mean, who are the guys behind that? Uh, so this is a, a team of, of people that have been involved in streaming before. The CEO is a guy named Justin Cochran, uh, who was in the early days of Sandstorm later on in Cobalt 27. So he knows the streaming business. They've had a year and a half, maybe now two year head start at this. No one else is doing it in a significant way. Raised a bunch of capital uh, and are active doing deals right now. And frankly, it's a pretty starved sector for cash. I mean, think of these as kind of high-powered NGOs that are funding these projects on a shoestring, they're very uh, open and receptive to having uh, bigger pools of capital come to it. So, you know, again, for us, it was small dollars in something brand new. We thought it was smart. It's proving out to be really smart, and, and we're happy with the progress there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I think we've had a couple of articles out talking about, you know, royalties perhaps being anti-inflationary in, in our investment at the, in, in that context. What about if, if, we're, if you don't need to look at other ways to deploy capital, do you move, sorry, do you also look at the battery metal space? Because that is obviously the hot thing at the moment, right? Nickel, copper, lithium, you name it. They've had a good year. Commodities, the demand seems to be rising. Supply, not so much. And a lot of little companies looking for, for, for help. Is it an area of expertise or something that you'd wander into, or are you going to stick with precious metals? Look, I think it is. Obviously, it's been, it's been very hot. That's where a lot of the gold dollars have gone. They've gone almost everywhere, but certainly battery metals is, is a core uh, sector that's taken a lot of that investment dollar. And it's for good reasons. I mean, I think the, that, that battery metals trend makes good sense. Unfortunately, when you see those types of trends and you see the amount of dollars that are being thrown at it, you see some, some questionable assets and questionable companies kind of spring forward. You have to kind of be able to uh, separate the weeds from the shaft. Um, 
for us, we've always said, I mean, and this is not new. I mean, we have copper royalties, we have zinc royalties. They're just not paying yet, but they're not a big piece of our pie. Uh, but we, like all the operators have said, uh, that we're willing to take on some other non-gold, non-silver, non-precious metal exposure. Uh, we just haven't filled our bucket up yet. So we have been looking, we will continue to look. For us, what that means is it starts with probably copper, uh, nickel sulfide, as you mentioned, if you can get good exposure, it's tougher to get. Uh, and then, you know, thereafter, our, our interest kind of wanes uh, sharply, but, but you know, things, things in that vein, if we can get them in small doses so they don't change the makeup of our company, we are a precious metal company. Uh, that's our objective. But if we can get some of that exposure and we can get maybe better deals done um, uh, in that space uh, with good assets, we're, we have been looking and we've done deals and we'll continue to look and do deals. Okay. Your summary, gross, you're a growth story. Why? We're a growth story because people are building mines for us. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got really capable people out there that are going through late stages of feasibility. They're, they're going through permitting. Uh, they're raising dollars to build these mines. Uh, they're not theoretical, they're on the come. Uh, it's never as quick as you'd like, but we've got really good assets, really good partners building really interesting assets for us. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.